Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we're here for the, uh, for anything, my name's Brett Sample. Thank you for uh, your attendance today. I'm Vice President of uh, Angle Analytics for Software Company. We're the sponsor of the Innovation Pavilion today. So thank you again for your attendance. Hopefully everyone just had a good lunch. <laughs> for a few minutes. Um, this session is the inclusive workplace, the inclusive office. So if you're not here for that, it's probably time to, to find a different pavilion. Um, but I'd like to turn it over now uh, to Dr. Barry Marco. He will take it away. Thank you very much, Brett, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, uh, I'll get straight into it because obviously we've only got 20 minutes, and I'll try and leave a little bit of time again for any questions. Um, but the context of this was that um, about four, four years ago now, um, I think, uh, we were uh, having to move in London. And the landlord no longer wanted us in the building, but they wanted to redevelop it. So we started looking for um, a new space. And from the very beginning, we thought this has to be um, a transformation for us, because the office we had was a very typical late 20th, early 21st century um, office where everyone, um, we put everyone in rank order. Uh, at the lower certain line, they got an open plan desk. Uh, the line we've got an office. And it really uh, didn't suit the way in which we were working, which is a philanthropy is a very highly networked organization, both within our organization and with all the partners that we work with outside. So from the very beginning, we were looking for uh, a way in which we, how we could transform what we were doing and create a much more inclusive experience um, for our colleagues and for all those people that were using the office. So obviously, we started with the D, E, and I uh, and focused on equity, but we, as we started thinking about it, we realized that in fact to create a truly inclusive office where everyone feels completely aligned with everything that's going on, you can't just look at that. You've also got to look at sustainability, productivity, mission alignment to the organization, the purpose, by the way, uh, and indeed the financials, uh, and I'll come back to why that's relevant uh, towards the end. Because then by pulling all of this together, create a mutually reinforcing community at the heart uh, of what's going on, uh, and, and that's what we were aiming to do. So I'm just going to take you through very quickly um, the sort of the logic of what we were doing and, and show you some illustrations of where we ended up with it. So we started off with equity. That, that was at the, the heart of uh, where we sort of felt the passion for what we wanted to do. And we started off with the concept that everyone had to enter the office uh, as equals. So none of this hierarchy. Some get an office based on uh, their grade and everyone else in the open plan, which has nothing to do with how you, what you're trying to get done, who you are, how you feel um, on that day or indeed throughout your life. So we started with that principle. And before we put, say pen to paper, that's showing my age, before we put mouse to cab, um, we, we took everyone off, the, the project team and key stakeholders in the organisation, to Cambridge University, where we have a corporate partnership, uh, to think afresh, to, to sort of not start with the tram lines of experience to that point, but to look at um, all sorts of different perspectives, to get a range of different experts in from the university, and to really think hard uh, about new ideas and what we could achieve in a fresh way. And that brought us with a sort of a menu of different uh, ideas. Uh, 
most of which we wouldn't have had before. We hadn't done that. That we sought to then embrace uh, within the design. Things like a dyslexia font. Well, I'd, I'd never heard of that. Um, but if you're going to put signage up, um, you can use a font or a number of fonts that you can use that help people suffering from dyslexia um, to, to sort of read it and understand what's in it. Uh, we, we heard a bit about neurodiversity and, and how um, overstimulation can, can be too much. So that brought through the idea about different colours, obviously areas that you can escape. So noise became important, the, the, the lack of it in places, but also having enough noise so that we didn't end up with what I call empty restaurant syndrome in the open plan spaces where even if you shuffle, everyone's looking at you and going, so it, we tried to create um, a, a managed space for all the way through. Um, we had some fun with the uh, ideas around toilets. Uh, we thought unisex was the way to go, but uh, actually not. We had to have male, female, and unisex, which is quite right. So um, there was a whole range of things. Our preconceived notions um, were, were, were sort of knocked out, uh, and we, we really did um, put in uh, a lot of effort in, in that regard. And I'll pull out some of these um, and show you as we go through. So quiet work um, was, was important, a place where people can go to escape from the hubbub. So the first thing was we, we created a quiet zone, which was quite large uh, within, the, within the office, uh, and, and that is unassigned seating, clearly. Um, and there, you know, you've got different types of settings that people can go uh, if they've got, just want to be on their own. So if you've got um, work that you're doing all day or for half a day uh, in a normal setting, you can still find that there. Or if you're just more conducive to different types of settings, you've got that sort of space you, you can be in. And areas for no work. So um, because, given that we're doing human rights and holding a, a government to account, particularly authoritarian ones, we have colleagues that work in some dangerous places around the world, and from time to time we get bad news about them, whether they've been arrested or worse. So to have a place where people can go and escape uh, when they're feeling stressed for whatever reason is important. Also, if you come in on the red eye, you just need a shut eye, or at my age, if you've just had a good lunch and half past two, if you feel tired, you can go and have a nap for half an hour, feel refreshed, and work for the rest of the day. Uh, as well as a, a, a faith room, or we ended up calling it a contemplation room because an atheist came up to me and said, well, where am I going to go? So I can't call it a faith room, I had to call it contemplation. But basically, you know, it's somewhere for, for everyone from that point of view exercise classes, yoga, that kind of thing. The next step was sustainability. Um, climate change is affecting everything. It's one of our organisation's four key overriding areas of focus, so we had to do really, really well on this. So we created, um, again through some research, our own checklist uh, of things to go through. Um, so obviously minimising uh, energy uh, consumption, so that meant balancing the needs of colleagues who want to open the window with the needs of the aircon. Uh, so if you're opening the window, the aircon shuts off in that area and you make sure that colleagues knew that so that they're not heating or cooling the outside air world uh, and wasting a lot of energy. Um, but the, actually the biggest area for us, which took a lot of effort but was worth it, was that every component, every material that came into this space that we built we checked right through, so the architects were fabulous in looking at all the way through the value chain of where it came from and making sure that it was environmentally less damaging as possible uh, and as much recycled uh, as possible as well. 
The next area we looked at was productivity, and we did a, a, a lot of research into all the literature that's out there, uh, and came up with this model, which gave us a checklist of things to look at and consider all the way through the design. Obviously things like thermal comfort, but also acoustic comfort, so we had an acoustician looking at it, so that you had a journey through the space uh, around the noise that was deliberately managed. We didn't want it too quiet in the two neighbourhoods, but we also obviously needed it quiet and silent in the sanctuary, with no noise bleeding in from elsewhere, uh, very quiet in the quiet areas, and so on and so forth. Lighting was very important, making sure that people had um, ability to adjust that um, to suit their needs. Um, obviously air quality, but the biggest one of all for us was territoriality and belonging, because we, we looked at the statistics before uh, we moved, and we had people in about 50% of the time. Uh, the maximum we ever had in the whole year was about 62%. So, when, because we were trying to put in place a whole range of different workplace settings, people could work on their own or, and collaborate. It didn't make sense to us to assign everyone with, with anything. Uh, we, we basically created um, team neighbourhoods where people belonged uh, and every neighbourhood had its own sharing ratio and I'll come back to that in, in a moment. But of course as soon as you take away someone's desk you're taking away something that uh, is very powerful which is um, this, this requirement to feel that I've got something and how do I uh, communicate that I'm here and personalise. A very, very powerful motivational force. So um, we, we basically took that territoriality and converted it into the team uh, level that created a, um, for each team the ability to bespoke their, their surroundings, put up a lot of personal effects, not on the desk but around it, uh, and also, as I'll show you in a minute with some of the pictures, other areas where, where people could personalise the space uh, and leave their mark, so to speak. Also, um, configuration is important, so every desk is sit-stand, uh, and we engaged people a lot in terms of the selection of the furniture, um, so that they felt that um, you know, they, had their, they had their say in terms of how the workplace looked and felt. It was always first past the post, you didn't get your own chair, um, but within a managed way, um, in fact the, the task chair that was selected, 80% of the staff preferred that, uh, so that again created a big buy-in um, to, to, this, to this workplace. So as I said, the ownership uh, was by teams. This is a sort of a team neighbourhood. Um, they, they could elect as well to have dividers between the desks. They sort of got involved in choosing the colours, so that, that sort of varied. We tried to break up the space as well, so there was no great big long runs of open pan desks. We tried to create lots of sort of um, movement through the space and corners, and almost tried to bring it down to a domestic scale, um, so that it felt like a home from home, our home. A lot of feedback around biophilia, bringing life into the building, so we've got lots of greenery. Uh, we did actually cut that back, we went too far to start with, and um, I was actually got my point across by saying, look, where have we got the rack in the reception from machetes so that we can evacuate the desk uh, to get there? But anyway, I think we've got the balance about right now. And during the pandemic, uh, which I'll come to in a minute, um, we only lost one part somehow. <laughs> together uh, it was critical. Um, and, and bear in mind this is before the pandemic, as I say. So um, the premier space in this building is by this mansard roof with the sun shining in and the light. So that was the logical place for us to create our town square 
sort of the forum and the cafe. Um, and again, this is an example of where staff can um, personalize, we call it the community rule. So as long as it's legal, decent and honest, anyone can put anything up there um, for, for their colleagues and visitors um, to see. But we find that this isn't just where people have their lunch, they use this for ad hoc meetings all day. And the coffee point is just sort of beyond there, so it's an easy place to come and use it as a type of cafe. So um, I should say that it was built, built over two floors. Um, so on the floor that didn't have um, the, the, the cafe area, um, we, we decided that would be a, this, the lower floor uh, would be quieter. Uh, but we only put in one water point or coffee refreshment point. We call it a hydration point because we want to bring people together. Now one of two people complained that they had a bit of a distance to walk, and we said, well, that's a good thing. Exercise. You shouldn't be looking at your screen too long. You shouldn't be slumped there for too long. So um, we've got the message over that to, to uh, and, and of course it brings people together um, and they can meet and chat um, over the uh, classic water cooler moment. The stairs that we put in within the space was critical as well. So from a real estate finance point of view, it's bad news because you're knocking out square feet and it costs you a lot of money. You've got to put it back at the end of it. the space it's critical uh, and we, we designed it so that it actually requires that the, both the two floors that we have we, we've not mirrored the floors at all they're different so you have to go from one floor to the other to get a different um, if you like services or facilities the quiet space is on the third floor um, and the sort of the cafe forum is on the fourth floor so it connects the space and it becomes one cohesive space again building um, the community in terms of mission alignment, um, we work very hard to distill this down into what the mission of the organisation meant for us as a workplace. And we focused on connection, well-being, uh, breaking down barriers, uh, creating uh, an identity um, so that you took the logo off uh, the front door uh, and you still felt this was us just because of the community uh, and the spirit within the place and of course uh, the user, user experience. And the architects came up with this lovely phrase, uh, we sought to enable the smallest bird to sing from the top of the tree. And in fact, we're now using that to inspire all of the projects that we do. But we were honest with people. You said, we said from the get-go, you're going to lose your desk. But what you get in return is the whole office. You can go where you want, you can use what you want without exception. Um, some things you have to book, but basically there's more than enough for everyone. And of course, if you just want to be with your team, you know where you need to go um, to achieve that. But that did uh, create a requirement for huge change management. When you're taking away something that's steady uh, and, and people know where they're going, they own that little bit of, uh, bit of desk and it's a sense of identity. If you're taking that away, that's a big change management job. So I won't obviously go through all of this, I can't, in, in the time, but right from the very, very beginning of the project, all the way through, had a whole series of interventions uh, which, which sort of switched between consulting with people, um, informing them, uh, and indeed getting them involved in the decision making. And we were open with this right from the beginning, so people knew when they would get involved. We did a lot of collaboration, a lot of workshops, um, where we consulted and got lots of great ideas in terms of bespoke types of facility that we could put in there that would help how they got their work done. 
So the, 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 that, this was a massive effort which paid big dividends. I set myself the objective at the beginning that if most people were mildly sceptical about what we were doing by the day we moved in, we probably won them over. Uh, and indeed, that, true, um, that proved to be the case. We made sure as well that the, uh, the mission uh, of the organisation, in a way, and the environmental impact of the building uh, was, was present right at the reception. So we, we um, used recycled railway track sweepers for the, for the desk. Um, and just to the left of there, because we do a lot of collaborating with um, other civil society partners, we built a co-working area where they're more than welcome to come in whenever they want uh, and use our facilities with us. And indeed our staff sit out there and use it as well. And of course it's very handy for ad hoc meetings if someone's in town and they just want to come in and squat there they can. If, someone from our organisation um, and they're in, they can have that conversation. So it just helps build that wider community uh, that's so important to us. We also really thought through flexibility um, and tried to build that in as much as possible. So um, this is a space where you've got big meeting rooms on the right, some breakout rooms here, but we found this sort of big area here is very, very flexible. You can open up all those doors and you've got a massive area. You can use that for exhibitions, all sorts of different events. So the flexibility um, has been built in and that's just sort of one example of how we've done that. So the, the fifth area, financials. Uh, and I, th I thought long and hard as to whether this was relevant for, for people, but it is actually because of the, these numbers. So our typical office before we did this was you had about 20 square meters per workplace setting. Um, you had a, a ratio of 0.8 people to workplaces. You always had to have a few more for, for growth and change and so on and so forth. So you ended up with about 25 square meters, and I should say 250 square feet, sorry, um, per, per, per person, in effect. And as I said, we were about 50% utilization on any given average day. What we were aiming at was to drop that, well, and, and we didn't, that wasn't a target, that's how it calculated out. Once we'd actually gone to team neighborhoods, we put sharing ratios in, um, and we put all the other stuff in as well, it came out at around 14 square meters, or 14 to 15 per 150 square feet, a sharing ratio of 1.3, so seven, seven deaths for every 10 people, uh, and we were still aiming at, well, we thought we'd get the normal 50% five weeks before the pandemic hit um, and so we didn't really get a chance to use it. Then we weren't there for a year. Um, when we came back and it steadied up, we were at 14, or we're seeing 1.3, that's how it was designed, but only 30% of people coming in. Um, so that was the, uh, as when, once it settled down, that was the challenge. So what we're looking at doing now, we haven't done it yet, but we're now looking at moving from obviously 14 as before but a sharing ratio of two uh, and that will get that number hopefully back up to 50 percent why that's important is because if you spread things out too far you don't get a sense of community no one goes to an interview you very rarely are you the first person into a restaurant someone has to be but if you're looking if you've got choice you don't go into the empty one you go into the one where there's a crowd and a hubbub and, and an atmosphere so if you spread things out too much uh, 
and that's always the case if you're going to put in a lot of extra facilities, like quiet zones, you can only be in one place at one time, that's why you have to condense and that's why the sharing ratio is so important. But from a real estate point of view and from a financial point of view, it makes sense as well because that drops 57% of the space. And if you do get down to here, it's 72% saving on the space from the traditional offers. Looking at it financially as well, the cost per square foot of the fit-out is high. There's no getting away from that. But as an absolute cost, because there's less space, it's no different probably than if you fitted that block of space out in a traditional way. And of course, you're saving heaps on the rent every year. So financially, it makes sense as well. And for us, we're always thinking every dollar we spend on a, uh, on a real estate is a dollar not going out the door for the mission of the organisation. Finally, um, we, we noticed as well that in the traditional office, about 60% of the subspace is assigned, 40% is the sort of more collaborative communal space. At this level, it switches to 40-60. It's the other way around. 40% of it, in fact, none of it's assigned, but 40% of it is the traditional task, desk, office, that kind of thing. 60% is the collaborative space, and by the time you get down here, you think it would be 30-70. To just sort of bring home the point about this um, and, and the impact it's had, We've, we've done pre and post satisfaction, and it's gone up quite a lot. Across the board, every single measure went up. Um, we did a net promoter score, which is nearly off the scale, so we know staff love it. Um, but the biggest one for me was actually this measure here, immediately after the pandemic, and once we reopened. We surveyed all of our key offices, main offices um, before we reopened, started reopening, and said, what would bring you back? And they said, well, collaborating with colleagues, seeing colleagues, and, and socialising, basically. Uh, that was the prime motivation. We also asked them um, how often they thought they'd come back and what their average commute time was. And across all the offices, as you might expect, the, average, the longer the commute, the less likely you were to come in uh, very frequently. London had twice the average commute time than any of our other offices. And yet, when we reopened, the, uh, against all expectations, the uh, percentage coming in was twice uh, the others. So you would have thought it would have been less, much less, but it was actually double. That's obviously now equaled out over time, but that was because of the fact that the space, I, think, I believe, created a great sort of community for it. So for us, this is the inclusive workplace. It's not just about the DNI. That's essential, but it's a starting point, and you've got to use the other factors that I mentioned to reinforce that and align it so that you have a community, um, and that's what you're building. So that's our inclusive workplace. I'm not sure we've got time for any questions. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.